Metamathing. I'm your host, Em. With me is Jackson. Hello, hi. These are episodes that are going to be released on YouTube that were unlocked with your Patreon donations. You can go to patreon.com slash to help fund the show, and we will put these up on YouTube. They're going back in the podcast feed. These are old episodes that we are going to talk about in retrospect. Jackson, how do you feel about listening to ourselves talk four years ago? Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's not good. I'm so young. I'm so young. The thing that this does is it makes you realize just how much games like discourse has changed in the last few years. And not even that it's changed. Like this feels like it was recorded two lifetimes ago. So if you don't know, this episode was the first abnormal mapping episode. This came out October 30th, 2013. Yes. It was a very different time. This episode didn't have a title. When we get to the episodes of titles, we can tell you what they originally titled because we used to title these episodes. We did. Uh, but since this was our first podcast, it did not have a title. Uh, this is covering introduction to ourselves, a idea for a segment two that never got off the ground, and covering DMC Devil May Cry. Uh, but first, Jackson, tell the people why we even started a podcast. We started a podcast because we were on multiple podcasts before this. Uh, hilariously, one of the suite of whiskey media sites uh, called Screened, which was a movie website. So we did a bunch of podcasts there with like other people that were all way too long and not very good and very rambly. But we uh, like thought we each other were cool and talked about games a lot and thought, what if we made a podcast that was good? Because we listened to a lot of game podcasts. Uh, and we talked about this in we talked about this in this episode. We listen to a lot of game podcasts and get frustrated with the focus on like new releases and news and the fact that very few of them actually have every person on the discussion sit down and play a video game and then talk about it. So the thing that happened with me was uh, those screened pubcast, gamecasts, whatever, were very giant bomb inspired, where they talk about the news, talk about what you've been playing, uh, just the things that people talk about on a video game podcast. At the time, uh, I'd already like I enjoyed Giant Bomb, whatever. I still listen to Giant Bomb, but my real love was Idle Thumbs, which was a much more like talking specifically about single game, maybe a couple games. They didn't play the same games, but. They did, uh, they did like approach them from a much more like formalist perspective because they were game designer. I guess they weren't game designers at the time, were they? So, uh, Jake was always a game designer. Okay, yes. Um, uh, and but at the time we started the podcast, like, like the move for everyone leaving Shack News had started to happen, but yes. Yes. Uh, but it was a much more like formalist game podcast where they would get into the nitty gritty of games, and that was always what was interesting to me. And so I took the idea of like the way Idle Thumbs talked about games and basically mashed it with Rebel FM's Game Club, which they used to do, in which they would play a title, usually over like two or three episodes. We just decided because we, one, weren't popular to have a built-in audience that would listen, but also because we were, uh, we had a little more free time than like actual games journalists, so we were just going to play a game a month. That was my initial idea. I always wanted to do a game club because it was the only way to get it to where we weren't talking about two games the other person hadn't played and just like explaining the basics to them back and forth, which is what all games podcasts are and like my least favorite thing about video game podcasts. Yeah. And so I just roped you in because you were uh, the best boy of all of the dumb boys on that podcast. What a different age. How far I've yeah. come. When we both identified as male and all of the things that will happen when you listen to this episode. Yeah. No, it's a different time. 
Yep. What I like about it is that even though I think this is in many ways a bad episode of, of like podcasting, especially in the first two segments, because it's you know I'm I especially just my voice is completely different. It's weird. Um, but the actual idea of what the podcast is, and you'll uh, notice when we get to segment three, is it's basically the same. It hasn't really changed. Like, we are much more uh, formalistic in uh, the way we talk about Devil May Cry here. Like, going through what are the systems of the game, and what are this impl- like, just just trying a bit harder, and not being confident enough in our own responses to uh, just say what we think. Um, but the actual thing, which is we played a game and talked about it, uh, for half an hour is identical to what it is now like the the core of the podcast is really strong which is why we've been able to do it for four goddamn years yeah as much as sometimes the podcast is worn on me i thought the idea was always sound like what i wanted to do and i'm really glad that it stayed the same it's my idea is borne out as like this was the right way to do our podcast it's still good uh I, other ideas went away. Like, originally, the segment two was going to be a recurring thing where we brought someone on who felt differently about a game that we than we did, and we would interrogate those responses. And guess what? Talking to people who disagree with you about video games is actually the most boring thing on Earth. Yeah, Don't no, do it. It's really bad, because we bring our friend Callum on, uh, who doesn't like Gunpoint, and we're like, why the fuck don't you like Gunpoint? And then Callum's like, I just didn't. And that's the half an hour of content. Yep. <laughs> it's really bad. Especially in the power dynamics of like a podcast where we basically end up like circling around him like lions about to tear apart like a gazelle, <laughs> waiting for him to say something and be like, no, that's dumb. You're wrong. Uh, yeah. It's a terrible way to format. We've had guests on. We try to get people on. But it's a, like at this point, I, I only really want to bring people on when I feel like we're all going to be simpatico and build on each other's ideas and not just argue about a point. I, I don't I'm not really interested. And I think our least interesting podcasts are when we like verisifly. That's not the word I want. Uh, where we like very strongly disagree with uh, like our opinions on a video game. It doesn't actually happen very often, but it does happen. And I do think they're bad episodes usually. Yeah. Like um, there's definitely some value in people like arguing, well, is this part good? Is this part good? But um, it's actually very uninteresting in terms of the podcasts. Uh, Like you would think, oh, you want lots of differing opinions and you do, you want like differing perspectives. But when the argument is, is the thing good or not? Like then you're just doing a game of the year podcast. That's actually terrible. Like they're fun, dumb video game theater in the same way that like E3 conferences are, but that's not what you want your regular segments to be. It's not a good idea. And we walked that back immediately. Especially when it's host and a guest, because you're always going to side with the host. If you're listening to the podcast. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that was a terrible idea. That said, DMC, great game. I And I like the ways we talk about it. In some ways, I feel like we uh, kind of got away from this kind of very structuralist deep dive of here's the mechanics and here's how we feel about them. And that's part of it is because we've covered so many games that are not that mechanically sophisticated. In fact, we I feel like we kind of steer away from this type of like just a video game video game these days. Mm-hmm. Uh Maybe to our detriment. I mean, that's part of the reason I'm excited for people to suggest games for us, because we'll get to play things we wouldn't have otherwise have played yeah. anymore. Our self-selection process has definitely narrowed the kind of game we talk about. But I, I think, like, uh, DMC itself, like, suggests that approach. Like, it's partly uh, we've changed and relaxed our, like, need to adhere to a very rigid structure, but also, like, that game's just Ikaruga. Like, it's very obvious about the mechanics that it's putting in your face. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think our response is, I, I know, I, if I played that today, I'd probably have much the same takeaways. I think I would probably be less interested in its story. Uh, yes. 
but uh, mechanically, it's still like an interesting game. I we talk at length about how much we wish they'd make a sequel, and I still kind of wish they did, even though that is now less than zero chance of ever happening. Never. 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 Yeah. I mean, they're probably six months away from announcing like Devil May Cry 5 or whatever, right? What if DMC colon Devil May Cry 5 crossover? Bring the Dantes together. That would... I I don't want that. I do. Yeah, of course you do. Ninja Theory would have to make it, though. (laughs) That's my (laughs) one thing that would make everyone mad. Yeah, no, they're not going to do that. Ninja Theory doesn't make video games anymore. They've been making their game that's really realistic about mental health called Hell, or whatever it is. Hellblade, isn't it Hellblade? Oh, I was going to say Hellblade, but that was too dumb. So I thought I'm pretty it, sure it's Hellblade. <laughs> it's actually Hellblade, man. That could be good fun, but man, Hellblade. Yep, and they worked on Disney Infinity. They were part of that Star Wars stuff. Oh yeah, you're still sad about that. Yeah, no, I remain sad about Disney Infinity, because... It was, Disney Infinity 3.0 was like a really good game. The playsets were really strong. Uh, talking about how games have changed. Was Toys Life even a thing in 2013? I, I guess yes, Skylanders was Skylanders out. was big. It was like when it was actually a thing thing. Yeah, man. that Disney Infinity came and went in the time since we started this podcast. Oof. Yeah. Ooh. How do you feel on the eve of our fourth anniversary in a couple of months? Old. Feeling good? Old. Old. Old, yeah. Yeah. No, you were a teenager when we started this podcast. Nineteen years of age. Teenager. Ugh, gross. Yeah. Baby. Remember when our podcast was going to be the Walking Simulator video game podcast? That was our pitch. That was our pitch. Remember Walking Simulators, like as an idea. Yeah, that people would get angry about. Yeah. Things move so fast. Yeah, no, in four years, we went from walking simulators, not real video games, to this walking simulator didn't have a satisfying story because I couldn't hook up with the lady. <laughs> All right, Games have evolved. <laughs> God. God. Oh, I guess things don't... You think things change, but then the Bioshock collection comes out and then suddenly everyone was like, everyone has a big reaction. Like, oh, some people didn't like Infinite. What is this contrarian take? And you're like, oh, right. Games are just different bubbles on bubbles. And yeah, because like, we were in, itself. we were in games Twitter way back when, and now we are not. I mean, I guess like a lot of more, the games Twitter bubble grew exponentially to where the idea that Bioshock Infinite is garbage uh, is now like an accepted fact, I hope. Well, there's just different bubbles, I think. Like, yeah. we, I guess we are totally one of the many, um, like, maybe less uh, recognizable, but one of the many bits of, like, game criticism culture that came as a response to Bioshock Infinite, in yep. a weird way. Like, we're definitely part of that. Like, that's, I remember. Yeah, no, that was one of the impetuses for, like, I want to just talk about a video, like, video games with someone who's simpatico and talk about good video games because I'm tired of people talking about bullshit like Bioshock. Because we both got Bioshock Infinite, apparently we're going to do this, because we had a long time like bleeping the name of Bioshock Infinite out from the podcast, but it's it's key to this story. We both no. got that game like close to its no, release. No, you got that game, and I rented it from a Redbox. It's the only time I've ever used Redbox, <laughs> yeah. because you were talking about it, and the internet was talking about it, and I was like, I bet I could play this in a weekend if I pushed myself, and so I did. Yep. Uh, and we were like so baffled that everyone seemed to be into it and obviously that community of people who were baffled like grew and came together and formed a kind of wave of like new people popping up in video game spaces like that's actually like i would say that austin walker came from like got a lot of relevance from that like that's the whole you know uh, whole group of people on twitter 
No, that that is the game that like catalyzed our friendship talking off Twitter because that, I was like sending you messages about yes. playing through that game. There was one of our first big Skype conversations with you going, "It's a fucking ghost." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes, this podcast does not exist without Ken Levine's Bioshock Infinite. Congratulations. So much wouldn't exist. Maybe both sides are evil. <laughs> There's always a podcast. There's always a podcast. So that's episode one. Jackson, how embarrassed were you listening back to this? Just so embarrassed. It hurt me in every part. Oh, God. Uh, I was a lot more of much of a... Like, if you listen to the entire um, run of our podcast, you'll be able to, like, tell how my confidence as a person kind of goes up and down. Because at the start... Uh, there's a little less than this than I thought there would be at the start, but um, it's a lot of me just kind of laughing in response to everything and then agreeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just kind of my one nervous boy move. But later, it's not It's not really much of a thing anymore. Like, I still do that because that's the thing I do, but only when I mean it. I will yell at yeah. him and tell them they're wrong. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I mean, I'm never wrong, but you're allowed to believe that I'm wrong, I guess. Mm-hmm. I respect your beliefs, even if I disagree with them. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> So, we did this first episode because it was the logical choice, but if you would like us to do meta mappings for your favorite episodes, let us know. You can send it to podcastabnormalmapping.com. We didn't even have an email address when we first started this podcast, so it will not appear in the body of this episode. Uh, That said, you still consistently misquote our email address as questions at abnormal mapping. I know. (laughs) I got it right this time. Yes, you did. Yep. I always forget, uh, because I'm used to every other podcast having questions. Now, podcast. AdamRomapping.com. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, uh, suggest episodes you would like us to do this for, your favorites. Uh, we're going to kind of like vaguely pick ones we think we can talk about. We're not going to go in order necessarily. Uh, these will eventually all be done uh, within, like, I guess, four years' time, right? Almost. <laughs> I guess so, um, yes, if we stick to one a month. Yeah, and then we'll uh, be caught up. We're only going to do this for episodes pre the Patreon launch, probably. Um, Or maybe pre doing this, uh, because, you know, everything will just go up on YouTube as we put it out at that point. Uh, And this will go up on the feed and let us know if you enjoy it, uh, what you'd like to see. And otherwise, enjoy this first awful audio quality, embarrassing ass episode that still sounds like an abnormal mapping episode, but from an alternate universe where we all use the worst mics and my fan of my computer is so loud. Yes, but also I like that because it's the one time where my microphone is better quality than yours. Yep. No, it's bad because I immediately switched to a different, also bad microphone, and then it's still kind of noisy until I get a new computer and get two- this uh, get this blue Yeti. You use two different mics in this episode, like between segments. There's a hard. Yeah, time. no, the segment two is really bad. So enjoy this intellectual curiosity. Uh, yep. And let us know what else you want to go up on YouTube. So, goodbye. Yep. And, uh, yeah, come back in uh, two weeks for KOTOR 2, our real podcast. Real podcasts. Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping, the premiere episode of the premiere podcast about video games. I am your host, Matthew Marco, and with me is co-host, Jackson Tyler. Hello, I'm here to talk about video games as well. 
And uh, so, yeah, this is a podcast, as you might have guessed, about video games. Uh, you might ask, why another podcast about video games? Matt, why another podcast about video games? Because most video game podcasts aren't about the kind of topics we want to see covered in video games. Would you agree? I would most definitely agree. So Abnormal Mapping is going to be a little different in that we don't really want to cover news. No. No news. Because I can't stay on top of any of that. And most of it's boring. Or rapid fire lists of favorite games or what you've been playing. Uh, so now we have a segment where we're actually going to talk about our favorite games that we've been playing. God damn it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Only briefly, and more about where we come from as people who play video games. It's true. But what we really want Abnormal Mapping to be is a thing that reflects how we play video games. We're not games press, and <laughs> we're not game creators, uh, but we are people who play video games and try to think about them as critically as we think about the books we read or the movies we watch and we're yep. both pretty critical people yes yes we definitely are that's not to say we're not optimistic matt abnormal mapping is a podcast about optimism jackson <laughs> we want to cover is. the games that we're passionate about that we're interested in we are not going to cover things just because they are the hot new thing yeah and even though we are like to think about things you know critically Hopefully we're going to get across that video games are cool and just like we like to talk about them and think about them in that way. But before we talk about video games, let's talk a little bit about who we are and what we're all about. So I'll hand it off to Jackson and he can tell you a little bit about himself. I, I'm the young one uh, here. I'm only 19 years old for about 12 more days and then I'm 20. I've been playing video games for you know a while, but I, I got into it when 3D games were still, not still, were starting to be the norm. So never had any of the old things. Like I had a SNES for about two days before it broke. But video games for me have always been 3D in terms of what the big ones are. I never had the 90s experience because I'm, I'm too young. Yeah, so I started around... I mean, my first proper console was uh, the Xbox. And I obviously rode that train, got a 360. And only a few years ago did I start really realizing that video games were way more than... Flip yeah, tricks and, and EA tracks. And EA. <laughs> yeah, I actually have an EA tracks poster on my wall, and the X is huge because I, I have a heart around the X and EA tracks because you know it's for me. And um, <laughs> even back then, I was into interesting games. Like my probably one of my favorite Xbox games was uh, Jet Set Radio Future, which had a way better soundtrack than EA tracks. Also formative. There we go then. But basically, about the last three or so years, I've started to become more aware as indie games have become a thing and the Xbox Live Arcade, segueing into Steam, segueing into now PlayStation Network, have introduced me to all these games that have been interesting and cool to think about in a way that is not just, I'm going to shoot this dude or I'm going to flip this trick. It's... Uh, so Whoa, that's been... what game are you playing? <laughs> that is <Tony> A.O. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Tony. It's BMX XXX actually. Um, I never played that. I don't want to state for the record. I have never played BMX Triple X. I have just heard it referenced a bunch. But I'm actually, in terms of what I would describe myself in what games I like, I don't know. I mean, I like good games. I like interesting games. You like I'm good young. games. That's that's yeah. uh, don't yeah. we all? But I, I'll basically play mostly anything, and because I'm still finding out. I mean, everyone's still developing, but I'm, you know, I'm at a point in video games where I don't know what is going to be my special area of taste. 
and I'm, you know, I'll find that out as I go, I guess. And uh, how about you? Well, I guess I'm the old man of this podcast at a staggering 28. Uh, <laughs> I've been playing video games since the NES, which is maybe my first memory of playing Super Mario Brothers and being afraid of the Bowser Castle stages because I was five. Uh, as such, I've been playing video games my entire life. It's always been the hobby under the things that I'm really crazy passionate about. Like, those change and always have, but always video games. Uh, I can relate to that. Not the old part, but... Great. Just make me feel worse. <laughs> no, to be fair, I can, I can relate to the old man part, but that's mostly because of my um, demeanor and opinions, not actually my age. As such, I grew up mostly with Nintendo consoles uh, until the PlayStation came along and it became impossible to just be an N64 gamer because who wants to play Glover? And There was a game called Glover? Yeah. Um, okay. Spoilers, we talk about it in the second segment. I mentioned it offhand. <laughs> Did I say there's a game called Glover? No, you didn't. You were just laughing oh. at me. Uh, okay. Glover was an N64 game uh, where you played as a... Like, a disembodied white Mickey Mouse glove that walked around with like its fingers and like like used a ball like to move around because it would like walk on it like a circus ball kind of thing uh it was bad it was dumb uh and so I moved over to the PlayStation and the crazy Japanese games and all the RPGs which is kind of where I stayed until I got a 360 and started playing AAA games for a very brief period I've always been kind of a guy more into weird, interesting games over necessarily games that are good, and uh, always been into Japanese weirdness, which is why I feel like the segue into indie games happened really naturally for me. Uh, Braid came out, and Super Meat Boy, and those were platformers, and they don't make those anymore, or they didn't, really. And I got really interested in that, and that led rather gracefully over to the PC, where I ran into the infinite variety of interesting games now uh, where I uh, really dived in. As far as preferences go, I feel like things that I'm really passionate about are still platformers, uh, narrative-driven games, and weird psychedelic freak shows, anything by Jeff Minter or uh, anything with pulsing lights and techno music. Is probably something I'm way into because I like video games as a weird sensory experience. Do you like walking games? I love walking games, Jackson. I don't know if you're you know wear this, it. but walking games are the best. You're going to wear that term as a badge of honor. Be like, yeah, walking, walking games, games are great. Because you know what game genre I never got into, and it's because of my history being so Japanese skewed and Nintendo skewed? Shooters. That's right. I'm the guy who actively hates shooters. As just a genre. I, I, I know that they're well made. I've played some of them and still do sometimes. But I don't like games where you walk around with a gun pointing out of your camera. Pretty pretty much every interesting shooter game or every interesting shooter is interesting in spite of it being a shooter. That's accurate. I don't and think you're heads- wrong. Portal's probably the exception. I wouldn't call Portal a shooter. You, you shoot Traversal. Yeah, but I think the, the what makes a shooter is the fact that you shoot someone who is shooting back at you. Sure. That's, that's, yeah, okay. 
I won't argue about that. Speaking of shooters and guns, gunpoint. Oh, huh? that's right. We're going to have two segments as part of this podcast. The second segment, which we're about to get to, uh, we bring on a friend of ours, Callum Petch, to talk briefly about PC Indie Darling of the Year, uh, Gunpoint, which is a game that both me and Jackson really liked, but Callum had some dissenting thoughts about, and we wanted to talk to him about why and maybe where that stemmed from and what that means about us as players versus him as a player. And then in our main third segment, we're going to talk about Devil May Cry, the 2013 character action game uh, reboot of popular Japanese Devil May Cry franchise. Uh, And that's going to be most of the podcast because we have a lot to say about that game. We do. Hack and Slash is pretty cool. So we talk about them. I realize that uh, we never really established whether we should call Devil May Cry a character action game or hack and slash. I think we called it we, hack and slash. We mostly call it hack and slash, but I think the appropriate term is character action game. You know, a yeah. cag, a hot cag. Uh, a hot ca- well, we spend a bunch of time calling Bayonetta a hack and slash game in which there is very little hacking and slashing unless you count hitting people with your feet, either of those two things. I guess it could be a hack. I guess you could hack someone with your feet. Sounds like it would be the worst. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she gets us ice skates, so yes, that's a hack. I feel like hacking implies there's some sort of, like, machete-type action going on. Would it be a hacking with the laser sword or not, or is that not capable of hacking? It can slash, I think. Sure. Yeah, okay. I I don't know, I think hacking has to have some hard resistance. Hmm... Write in at questions <laughs> at abnormalmapping.com. No, that's not actually no, our... Write in. We don't actually have a podcast email. Write into our Tumblr, because but, why would anyone yes, email anything anymore? Put uh, info in Tumblr ask box, abnormalmapping.tumblr.com, if you have an opinion about this very dumb, very nuanced distinction of genre. <laughs> now let's end this nonsense and continue on into segment two. And welcome back. Uh, with us today is Callum Petch here to talk about Gunpoint. Gunpoint is a PC game that was released in June of 2013, uh, made by Tom Francis, uh, who was a writer at PC Gamer. And most of the talk around Gunpoint has centered around Tom Francis basically making the entire game himself and Game Maker, being one of the rare instances of press becoming game creator uh, and not just community manager or whatever uh we have callum here today because of all the people i know he's the only person who doesn't like gunpoint <laughs> uh so we're gonna let him explain because i think it's interesting when people dislike the things that are universally beloved mm. so callum i'm gonna turn it over to you and we're gonna feel free to interrupt uh yeah and feel free to elaborate on specifics because uh, people might not have played Gunpoint, yeah. though you should because it's cheap and uh, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did pretty much just buy Gunpoint because it was in a Steam sale for I think less than three pounds, and so forth. Well, even if I don't enjoy it, I'll just buy it and see what all the fuss was, which you know is sometimes is the best way of impulse gaming. But um, so I played Gunpoint all in one sitting because again it was about three hours, and it's not and PC game. I don't have that much access to a PC otherwise and i f- think that 
if I had split it up, I might have been slightly more tolerant of a lot of things. Because I, I like Gunpoint's writing. I really don't like Gunpoint's gameplay, which I often find just to be tedious busy work. Instead of, like, instead of interesting puzzles, it's oftentimes just... Um, it's, it's often just kind of like you need to find the one specific way through this area or spend 20 minutes going through separate things. I remember and specifically there's one level um, late on in the game where the, um, the only way I could ever you know, get my head around getting through it is to essentially have bought the gun and then have to race through the entire level in about 30 seconds without being, you know, shot to death by anybody <laughs> because of the way the whole thing's laid out. Um, I... It, it, or other levels where essentially it's you have again where you have to just drop into an area and then figure out which way to go to get to to get to the switch that opens up the next level. Like the actual level traversal and that sort of thing, I I never found particularly interesting or engage or engaging like that. And several times I just think there are mechanics in there, especially in the early going, but I didn't think were explained decently. Although that might be due to my lack of familiarity with PC games, as some people, as um, one or two people pointed out when I tweeted that about that. Um, but then eventually, when I did get a grasp of mechanics, I just found that the game didn't really have anything to it. Like the act of playing the game wasn't particularly fun. The writing, like outside of the levels, the actual writing, yeah, the whole story, well, the story-based sequences, essentially was was great. It was writ- it was witty. It was you know, it was witty, it was darkly humorous and that sort of thing. I would, and I preferred getting to, I, I, I kind of just slogged through the gameplay to get to the next, like, 10 second text section instead of anything instead of anything else. But the writing is, whilst it's very good and often quite, and, you know, quite funny, I didn't think it was good enough to make up for the fact that the actual acts of playing Gunpoint, I just found really boring instead of, like, interesting. I, 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 I I think like if the game if the, the act of playing the game was better, then I would have you know actually fully enjoyed it instead of just saying well the writing was fine, but uh, otherwise I was quite bored throughout. If, say, it, 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 I'm 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 mainly wondering like is the concept of like you know game it, does anybody else seem to find the game playing gunpoint the weakest part of it, or is that just like a thing I'm having trouble with here? That was a question I was asking you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I, I really like Gunpoint. I think the gameplay is great. I, I think the reason I like it is because, one, the movement controls are just spot on. Just jumping and sliding will never get old. Uh, and two, cross-linking is just a good... It's, it's, it's an interesting mechanic because it, whilst it is essentially a series of switches which you have to turn on and off and can be seen as like... You can see the spreadsheets when you look at it. You can see mm. a bunch of logic puzzles and it's like putting a bunch of ones and zeros in to make it work. It There are enough different possibilities to get through and that you f- like it makes you feel like you solved it rather than you found or stumbled upon the right way. Like Because there are enough different parts lying around for you to make into the solution that it is you doing it rather than the game just, you know, you just finding the right button to press to open the door. Uh, more explicitly for anyone, I guess, who hasn't played Gunpoint, uh, the whole point of each level is to assault a uh, guarded facility armed only with the ability to jump and fall from any height and jump into people 
and this crosslink which allows you to interact with switches and doors and sensors and create logic if-then gates that will open doors or trigger lights or whatnot. Uh, just so anyone knows. And I think that that's the thing I enjoyed the most about it, where when you go into a place, you can see the entire level, you can always see your goal, and it just becomes, well, I have to open the door to the server room. To open the door to the server room, I need to flip a light switch on the third floor. To get to the third floor, I need to get access to the elevator, which is on the basement. To get access to the basement, I need to get rid of the guard. And you end up working backwards from this weird knot. And as you do that, the possibility space branches out in a lot of ways to mm-hmm. where I could crash into the ceiling or I could trick a guard into opening one of the main doors. Or uh, you could... And even just the act of doing those things, besides using the extra abilities that come later in the game, which I basically never touched, or the act of whether or not you're going to be stealthy and invisible or just kill everyone, because a non-lethal playthrough in that game is totally possible, um, is uh, interesting to me because there are so many ways to tackle these things that always lead to the same goal. It's not like there's some wildly different permutation of most of the puzzles, but it is definitely tailored to individual choice down to the game reinforcing that in you get awarded if you kill nobody or you get awarded if you kill everybody or you get awarded if you're super stealthy and you get awarded if you just break everything. Uh, I think the feedback is really good at tailoring itself to individual play styles and uh, the game tends to support that. Hmm. Like I, I, the way you both described that is like I can see why some people have enjoyed it, but I, I, I just I don't think that sort of like the way they do that kind of puzzles is for me because there are a lot of instances where you know the whole um, cross-linking between like you know unlocking security doors by flicking to a light switch that you could then get a guard to open them up that never particularly sort of gave me that same rush of ha I did that I'm of like ha I did that I found a solution I'm smart kind of feeling but a lot of that I get from a lot of other puzzle games that sort of thing I just kind of feel like I'm just um, doing I like GCSE ICT work <laughs> Essentially, like yeah, building simple systems and that. It, it never seemed, it never like worked for me. Like I can see, like now, now you described like I can see why other people would find that sort of thing like a refreshing change of pace, but it did, it didn't do anything for me personally. Um, and also another thing else is that, and even before I checked the Steam achievements thing, is that the story uh, and gameplay are pretty much two entirely separate things that that have very little to do with one another for the most part like you know there's the gameplay and then there's the story section the story bit and then there's the gameplay that sort of thing which kind of just which once i kind of noticed that disconnect it was kind of hard to get by it's like yeah i'm literally just doing this puzzle here to get to the next story bit because again i again the writing and gunpoint i will hold up is yeah it's really good it's really good i liked the writing it's just the, the act of getting to the writing i've often found kind of I, I mean, yes, they are in separate rooms, but I think compared to like some big games, the the way that the tone of the writing matches identically with the tone of the gameplay, you have this kind of serious noir story, wipe the hard drive, along with all these bits of I'm going to jump around and fuck about and do this crazy shit because you can. And that is exactly the same tone of the writing It is the serious mm. noir story. Uh, they both have the same awesome background music and the rainfall yeah. and the atmosphere in both of them actually makes it a way more cohesive whole than you would expect 
it's way more cohesive whole than say shoot a bunch of guys and then get a cutscene with different things. Actually, I found it. I found it all right in that area. More specifically, the construction is this straight noir story, but the character you play, both in the narrative and in the game, is this wacky cartoon man who can jump a hundred feet <laughs> and sass in like this fourth wall breaking way yeah. and cause the entire like systems that as the guards understand them to come crumbling around them. And I think the game supports that, where you get to the point where you're knocking guards out by getting them to slam doors in their own faces and just pu- pu- pushing people out of windows down, like, 100-foot falls where you land on them and walk away. And there is a lunacy and a sloppiness to that character's existence that is totally at odds with the rest of that world, which is very strictly ordered, that I think the story backs up because he is this weird agent of chaos in this kind of uh, typical warring corporations backstabbing murder story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. He's great. <laughs> Which I know, Jackson, you played uh, <laughs> in a sarcastic way, if I'm not I mistaken. Did. And I, did. I played entirely straight. Because uh, I, 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 I enjoyed the tone of that so much. I like noir and I don't think enough games do it right. I think I, I ended up doing like a mix of both for the most part. Yeah, I think there were some situations in which it was too ridiculous, but and most I think my favorite choice in the entire game was from who and from whom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like little stuff like that, which it, it's not even the choice; it's just the just game. Just be a pedantic, just be like a pedantic <laughs> asshole. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that character is great, and both ways work, and back up the fact that you can then jump from skyscraper to skyscraper whilst these guards can't even walk into the next room. It's great. So, Callum, it sounds like your problem is entirely with uh, the logical rigidity of puzzle construction, mostly. Sure, let's go with that. Is it <laughs> is it a problem that it was just wasn't signposted enough, or was it just no, like, following no, that? No, it's not. It's not. Like, it's not. Do you, do you like Portal? I mean, okay. Well, duh. Okay, because the thing that I, I found the difference to Portal is very much there is almost always one solution, and that mm. is finding that. Whereas this is a bit more open, and it is, I guess, it takes a bit more, um, like work on your part because not not yeah. not that it's harder. Just you, I don't know how hell I'm trying to say here, but Portal is very uh, much a kind of roller coastery thing, and this is almost deus ex in microcosm in that there's big room and it's, it's only two minutes or three minutes long but you can choose how to approach it anyway mm. yeah yeah no yeah no i get i get what you're saying that sort of thing it's just a uh, my thing is that i often felt like i was stumbling into solutions more than just um like more than just actually figuring it out and i think personally i kind of enjoy more of the concept of figuring out the right way to do things than just accidentally stumbling my way through because I can I think I can you know I think I kind of like personally like that smart like that kind of smart feeling of getting there of yeah I figured out the correct answer to this puzzle instead of just going like instead of just kind of um, yep uh, yeah oh, I, the, uh, the thing I wa- I wonder about is why you felt the game was constructed in a way that you stumbled through the solutions because I actually found that unlike most puzzle games I never got lost in where I was going and what I was doing. Well, I was like, for example, um, I think one late level, I think the second to last one, 
because now it's really long and essentially you have to go all the way down to the bottom of this building and then go all the way back up again in order to hack a tunnel at the bottom. Um, is that I, I got all? Is that after about five or so minutes of trying of you know get of cross wiring and that sort of thing? And that I finally got to the bottom and I got into them to hack the terminal. Only then once I had hacked the terminal to find out I hadn't actually accurately wired any way being able to get back out of the room. So then I had to quit. Go back and do There's, the whole. There level is no again. way back. that you can un like create yourself in a stuck situation like that. Yeah, it's like I, I, I try like, but it's, it's like that sort of thing. It's like that kind of. It's that kind of thing. Of, it's just like I kind of just got really bored by the end of it, especially since it kind of introduced these mechanics, and then I, I personally didn't really do much with them after the initial here are all your mechanics and now we're going to give you levels like it never kind of seemed to just i i, I get what callum's saying i feel like you're saying that the the game was structured in such a way because it was so open that essentially from about the fifth level onwards you can just click on a bunch of crosslink stuff and eventually sooner rather than later you will find a solution and that's as valid a way to play than actually working backwards and reverse engineering a solution uh, whereas other puzzle games are extremely rigid and know you have to think about this in a very specific way, whereas Gunpoint's a bit more open than that, and that yeah. isn't going to be as satisfying to solve because it's not as rigid a puzzle. I just yeah. wonder if it's a like a tool set problem versus a explicitly themed solution problem, because most puzzles have a like this is the solution to figure out the thing. Whereas gunpoint, yes, from like mission five basically gives you all the tools you ever actually need and yeah. turns you loose. There's yeah. never, there's never an elaboration on that. Like uh, portal two has a lot of elaborations on their themes. Um, <laughs> maybe to the point of excess, but that's not here or there. Um, yeah. And so it is entirely about learning more efficient ways to use the single ability you have, which is switch on off. Uh, to create the solutions, and I don't know, maybe that I, I'm trying to think of another example of a game that is like that uh, in recent memory, and I, like something doesn't come really come to mind. Do you have one, Jackson? I don't play enough of puzzle games to know, but most of the ones that, actually, uh, that I think of are constructed in the other way. It's uh, it, that's why it was a breath of fresh air. Mm. Yeah, like uh, I, I have, I, I've been like after I've finished it i kind of did spend the next few days kind of just like you know reflecting over and thinking in my like you know of like well why exactly didn't i enjoy it and it's kind of coming down to the surgery that maybe i'm the problem like maybe like the way i not not in like in a bad way but in like the way i gain satisfaction from puzzle games and that is not in tune with the way gunpoint works and therefore it's kind of just not that, that kind of thing that's not for me personally. Like, that kind of thing. Like, I can understand how other people and that and others kind of, you know, can get enjoyment from it and gain satisfaction from getting through puzzles and that sort of thing. But for me, but how I personally just find it kind of, like, unfulfilling, busy, like, busy work. Like, it's something that maybe, like... I, I, so when I say like I think I'm the problem, I don't mean that in a kind of bad way. I just mean like I don't think this kind of like way doing a puzzle game is personally for me specifically in terms of that thing. Because again, I, like as me, myself, I kind of do like you know structure and having one way to do things and and just fit, and having to figure out how that goes instead of essentially just being dropped into an area and being given all these tools and saying okay okay just get through here we're not gonna like when, like there's no right or wrong way to just just do it that sort of thing so 
I think it comes down more to how I personally enjoy video games than any actual problem with Gunpoint itself. Fair enough. It's hard to argue with, this is just not for me. Hmm. <laughs> I just like a long silence there, like you were preparing some sort of rebuttal to that kind of, it's just not for me, and then it kind of just... <laughs> there is The thing is, there is no rebuttal to, this is not for me, because hmm. taste is what it is, and you can't argue someone's taste. Yeah. But I, th- I think the thing is, not, it's not that there's something wrong with Gunpoint or wrong with you. It's more figuring out why, what are you looking for from the game? Why can't that, you know, why is it mechanically not working? Rather than rather than just, like, saying it's just not for you is, isn't is why you didn't like it. That's mm. the result of not liking it. Yeah. And again, and again, I think it's the fact that it pretty much gives you the limited set of tools by about... 30 minutes in and then doesn't kind of change for that two and a half hour period in addition to the whole uh, in addition to the whole like relative lack of defined structure for getting through levels I think that kind of, I think that's the reason it doesn't particularly work for me because I will say like by the time I got to the final level I was just kind of in that sense of I'd like this to be over now in that kind of like because like for, for me it, it, it hit that one note for so long that I just kind of stop caring for the most part which again that, that that's 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 how i see, saw it anyway I, 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 again, I, again i feel like i'm repeating this too often but like, i can understand why other people would would be fine with this sort of thing so and i think a lot of that exhaustion you had with it stems entirely from the problems you had with the puzzle logic itself where you said you found yourself kind of stumbling into solutions yeah whereas uh when i like as someone who didn't really have those problems for me each like each mission became uh exercise in how ruthlessly efficient i could be at being a ninja through all of these worlds so there are missions where you know i go through something in like three minutes uh whereas if i didn't uh like see immediately where I was going to go and what I was going to do might have taken way longer. My end play time for that game was less than two hours because uh, I just flew through it. Yeah, it yeah is, not... it's not so much a can you or can you not solve it because you can brought through brute force yeah, brought through <laughs> brute force the things you don't know. But if once you get a flow going, it is pretty satisfying, and then you just jump out of the building and into the subway. It's great. Yeah, I feel like I've pretty much said everything I can say about it because I don't want to repeat myself too often here. So no, that's all right. I that's think fine. it's a interesting uh, example of what doesn't work in a game like that. Because if a game has a single hook and that hook does not appeal to you, there is nothing there for you. Mm. Uh, which is probably like which is again like to have another mention of like a game that has one hook but does it well and um. Probably going to be wrong on this. So feel free to shout me out, but like Hotline Miami is for one hook of you enter a room and it's kill everybody as fast as possible. But that works for me. Absolutely, that yeah, is definitely. It, yeah. I would consider those games actually very similar, even though the feedback loop of reward is wildly different. Yeah, yeah. It's like Hotline Miami's one note is one that manages to appeal to me throughout its three to four hour runtime, whereas Gunpoint's one kind of just just kind of started to grate on me by about the, I think me and my um, game time lasted about three I think it would just hit three hours after I finished the last mission so 
I and an example of a game with a singular mechanic that does not work for me is any shooter ever. So <laughs> I understand your pain. <laughs> because I don't even understand when people say shooting guys is inherently a satisfying uh, thing to do. Uh, I wish I did because I feel like I would enjoy video games a whole lot more, but I don't, so I can't. Well, hopefully Matt, next gener- next console generation cycle will bring back the generation of platformers. No, because I love platformers, but like the 64 PS2 generation ruined platformers. By ha- <laughs> They're just like, I don't want to play Glover ever. <laughs> I just don't. All right. Do you, I, want, to play, uh, do you want to play Bugs via uh, no Zapper via? Um, no, via I don't. Glass. I didn't play that the first time. <laughs> but if I get my dark reimagining of Billy Hatcher, I guess that would be okay. <laughs> so uh, that's gonna do it for second segment. Uh, thank you, Callum. Do you want to plug anything you're doing before we let you go? Um... Yeah, I'll plug my Twitter. You can follow me at Callum Patch, although no idea why you want to. Um, I write about games on a weekly basis of my petulant column over at GameSparks, and I have a review of Beyond Two Souls that should be up by the time that this podcast goes out, but I'll give you a spoiler anyway. It's absolutely fucking abysmal! Uh, like Beyond Two Stars, what? That's actually quite accurate, seeing as that's what I'd give it if I could give it out of five, so... I will probably buy that game when it's cheap and play it anyway. Just rent it. That's what I did. I don't, I don't rent games, really. And by the time it's cheap, what you got to lose? Just have Beyond that. It's... Ten hours of your cheap, life! Yeah, but even if it is terrible, it's terrible in such a different way than your normal Call of Duty shooters and stuff, <laughs> that it would still be worth it. Well, thank you, Callum, for those plugs. <laughs> Check out GameSparked. His column, weekly column is very interesting. I read Petulant. it. Trademark Jackson Tyler. Yeah, I tried that. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back maybe on a full cast at some point, Callum, if you're playing along with whatever our game club game is going to be that month. You should be making it for Wolf Among Us. Maybe when it's all out. For our third segment, uh, the bulk of this podcast, we're going to do our game club. Uh, game club is where me and Jackson and any third chair we have uh, play through an entire video game and talk about it at length and in depth. Uh, we're going to be doing a whole wide selection of games for a variety of systems we own or can emulate. And uh, it'll be a good time. Uh, this month, we are doing DMC colon devil may cry uh the reboot revamp slash prequel of capcom's devil may cry series that came out earlier in 2013 by ninja theory uh making this the first western installment of the adventures of dante the demon slayer or whatever you want to call him uh 
this is something we both have a lot of feels about to use uh, the parlance of the day. So uh, I'm going to let Jackson intro this because I've been talking too much this podcast. And uh, tell us a little about Dumbly Cry, Jackson. Uh, the game or the history or personal relationship with the franchise and stuff? You could just talk about the game. Uh, I, I've played, uh, I think, all of Dumbly Cry's. I've beaten one and two and maybe three. Uh, so I have a lot of history thinking this franchise is okay, but full of problems. Yeah, I've just played four, uh, which I've played to completion. That game's weird. Uh, <laughs> it's odd. I, I, I like, I like this game and, and no, I didn't like it like all the way. I thought it was all right. Um, essentially I, I, the thing that I found the most interesting about Devil May Cry was, uh, the combat becoming, hack and slash ikaruga that was uh-huh. that, that that was where the potential for being cool lie or lay in this game uh, the story was it, i don't know it's weird the way in which the narrative had to work is really odd i mean it's it's good and the hearts are interesting but then you realize that when ninja theory are so good at uh facial animation like you put on twitter that they're great at it they can do characters really well and then the story has to be okay the story's main purpose is to find a reason to keep slashing guys yeah um Um, try to give this uh when we started when i started devil may cry I almost immediately turned it off and decided, nope, we're not doing this yep. game. Yep. Because the game opens with this awful, horrible sequence of Dante at a club with a loud, awful music playing, and yep. he meets these two women, and there's this totally gratuitous, gross sex scene between them all that I don't think shows anything. I don't remember, other than a lot of really badly rendered Unreal Engine boobs uh, that are the worst. It's the most... I don't understand why games feel the need, A, to objectify women in such a way, but B, to do it when obviously the technology to do it just renders everything awful. Like, it's this weird plastic nightmare of what sexy is supposed to be. I don't know who this is for. It's not for anyone with half a brain. Uh, it's not for people with the internet who can look at real boobs. Uh, I don't. I, I, it's the worst. It's the worst. I hate I, it. I don't get it in... In most games, but here it's, I mean, I don't think it's a good thing, but it's pretty much, we are going to do an exploitation type film type thing, and the best way to Except uh, the rest, the rest of the game? No, it doesn't follow at that at all. No, it's purely to hook people in and go, look, we're wacky, we're crazy. And then as soon as they have a story, they just tell the story. They don't, it doesn't happen after the first level, or during the first level. So, uh, you go through a tutorial, which is bad outright i think um in which you're made jump on a bunch of platforms on a boardwalk and oh god fight a weird giant demon that sucks uh and are introduced to the barest of moves and you're like okay they've really ruined devil may cry uh and then the game kind of slows down uh in the next couple chapters and introduces the actual interesting thing which as you said are the ikaruga angel and devil weapons and their corresponding grapple hooks. Yeah, the and also to give you a proper backstory and character in the entire second level is uh, let's slow stuff up. Here's what's going on. Here's actually what the story is about. And most interestingly, that second chapter in 
the old Dante mansion, the Dante family. I guess his name's now Dante Dante in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Mario, right? A virtual Dante. Red, he jumps around. He might as well be Mario. Uh, the uh, the whole sequence there is actually the thing that feels the most like the original Devil May Cry, which for anyone who doesn't know was a aborted attempt to make a sequel to Resident Evil Three. Uh, that was it was supposed to be the first Resident Evil Four. They were trying to do something more actiony and realized that they had gone really far afield. <laughs> so they replaced zombies with like puppet demons and uh, kept the weird castle motif. So much of Devil May Cry, the original, is exploring like this abandoned castle that's actually pretty sedate until you get into rooms where the demon door drops and you have to fight a bunch of guys to proceed. Which is a lot of what that second level is. Uh, and nostalgic in a way that I appreciated despite the fact that uh, I continue to hate games that gate you behind demon doors. They're the worst. Yeah. Uh, I, weirdly, I don't mind that too Weirdly, much. this game doesn't, isn't even consistent about that because towards the end of the game, it stops doing that and I was avoiding entire battle sequences. You were? Yeah. Uh, okay, that's probably my Ninja Gaiden blood, which is uh, that that game's entirely. Yo, we're gonna get you in this room. <laughs> oh no! Much. And most games in this genre are, but towards the end, like in we'll get to that. But when you have to stop traffic, uh, mm-hmm. or you have to keep pulling things out of the way of the car, and when you're breaking into the the tower at the very end, both of them have battle sequences you can just run past. I, I didn't do that. See, if I had known that was a way to do it, I probably would have. Because I quite like in in action games, I generally find it way more interesting to actually just if your mo- if your your character or the person you're playing is motivated to get to a place, just get to the place and kill anyone who's in your way. Don't stop to take down this one demon. Yeah, and it's not like the game once you get to your goal brings those enemies to you and forces you to fight them. No, just the story plays and those enemies are gone as if you had killed them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's not really relevant, but um, I, I know that when I played a bunch of Halo, that's always how I played that, which becomes far more interesting when you run and ignore all the enemies. Just get to the point where they stop spawning? Yes, just bucket past everyone, don't fight a thing, that is the way to play Halo. That, that's how I played the Call of Duties I played, which is admittedly only an action you can do on the easy modes that I play shooters at, but I made that game way shorter. <laughs> and therefore way better so yeah Devil May Cry hinges on the angel and demon weapons which are modifiers on the uh, L2R2 for me I guess they're triggers for you yeah yeah, the right triggers yeah and uh, they turn your sword into either a glowy weapon or a dark evil weapon uh, and they have various effects the dark weapons hit harder the uh Angel weapons are more like crowd control weapons. Uh, and with them come two grappling hooks. The angel one pulls you to things, and the demon one pulls things to you, which the game uses both in battle and in the various platforming sequences that make up... Like, half the game, I feel, is platforming for a hack-and-slash uh, brawler uh, I don't remember the other Devil May Cry's being quite as platform heavy as this game is. I did. I playing four. There was a bunch of platform. Maybe not that much, but there's there's quite a bit. And they like, especially in, uh, remember stuff of like weird floors that would go out from underneath you. And they they had some 
they had some platforming puzzles in there. It wasn't just jumping. They had they had a bit of that. But it was never as properly defined as this one was. It was, no, here are these mechanics and here's how we will use them. And unfortunately, they will essentially be quick time events. Uh, I, you know, I don't really think of them as quick time events. Uh, I guess it depends on whether or not you think like Prince of Persia 08 is one quick time event or not. Uh, I don't think of that game as a quick time event either. And it's essentially the same. You leap to this point and at this point you have to press this button within this window or it doesn't. Okay, that's a quick time event. But it's... The game never drops the mechanics to give you a cutscene in which you're pressing buttons to scrub through the animation. I think it's more the... I mean, I agree, but I think it's more that the actual... Not puzzles, but the platforming chains aren't very complex. It's always the maximum of, like, three... If you are switching between them more and doing more in the air and more crazy stuff with with your um, demon and angel powers, it will be far more satisfying because at the moment you just like a couple of times oh yep something's out of my way i'll pull this thing to me it, it never felt challenging enough to require all these the, you teleporting to it or it teleporting to you skills oh no absolutely not uh what's more challenging is the fact that your air dash is seemingly <laughs> random in what direction it decides to send you in yeah how many times did you air dash and just die fall to your death I, many many times <laughs> one of the worst ones is towards the end of the game there's a sequence where when you jump there's a hellfire that rises up and does damage oh. if you're not on a platform oh yes and i missed the platform and the hellfire hit and drained all of my life <laughs> which meant well, that it wasn't that i fell down a pit and had to be reset to a new sequence, it said, I fell down a pit, and because I had taken so much damage, it gamed over. And I had to start the sequence over again. from a Oh no! Because I wasn't going to blow a, a continue orb on that. No. no. That would be dumb. Yeah. So, uh, at this point, I feel like the thing we should talk about most is that battle system, because we both played a lot of hack and slash kind of games. Yep. Uh, and since this is what Del May Cry supposedly hangs its hat on, uh, I think it's worth talking about how it achieves the things that it does successfully, if it does. I, I think that the, it's got this one really good hook, uh, which is the you have two weapons, but it falls down in um, important ways that the enemy encounters are... They don't take advantage of that. There's too many just boring, plain old things to destroy uh, you either have to kill uh, just these but the, like just the they're plain enemies you can kill with both which i i get why they did that they want you to be comboing between all these things they want you to dark side as it and push triggers to manipulate your combo in a multitude of ways but that just means that you don't like it's not very challenging you just dodge when you need to dodge and then you slash with anything the, the hook isn't utilized properly whereas if the um the combat system doesn't take advantage of its one mechanical hook, which is you have to you have different weapons that can harm different enemies, but it doesn't make that a challenge. It just means sometimes you have to like the most complex it gets is you will throw the um uh, whatever it is the, one of the weapons is and it will hold, like pin the white the white enemy down whilst you attack the red enemy. That's the that's the most complex it gets. You never actually have to balance the two styles. Uh, which I was thankful for because those ghost rat enemies are the worst. Uh, in that if I didn't have the pin for the white one, I probably would have died in every one of those encounters because I had uh, 
a rough time with those guys. Um, my problem with the combat in general is I think there are one too many enemies that just ignore your attacks. There's a lot of uninterruptible stuff going on mm-hmm. with yeah. all of the bigger type enemies. Uh, specifically, there is a giant bruiser guy who has like club fists and charges at you. And oh, he's there, the worst! There is a way to interrupt him which involves charging up your fist power fully, which takes a good five seconds, and I'm not exaggerating, and that's a lot of time in a game like this, to get to enough where you can do an uppercut that will interrupt him, but the animation priority on what counts as an interrupt, and what counts oh. as you, and like sailing over his head or him running you over, is not clear enough for this game, and I feel like that's a problem that's systemic across all the battle stuff, whereas I think the animation priority just isn't right on a lot of things. Uh, attacks are fine, but they give you a dodge move, and every time that you try to dodge, I was usually too late and because I was too locked in a battle animation to cancel into a dodge, because the game does not cancel into dodge well. Which is fine in a game that doesn't emphasize that, and the game kind of doesn't because it wants you to use like guns to stun enemies, is mostly where Devil May Cry has its, this is the mechanic outside of, rather than dodging or blocking, you stun. But I don't think that this game, compared to prior Devil May Cry games, does that very well. Um, And more specifically, I think that they give you a dodge and they give you powers that supposedly activate on a dodge that are not useful at all. Mm -hmm. I, Uh, I think, especially with that enemy, the one that charges a bunch... I, I think that is by far the worst enemy in the game because the whole system with the scoring and even just it is more satisfying when you the, the aim is to kill everyone as fast as possible and never stop your combo whereas the logical way to defeat that guy is to stop and wait for him to do it run into the wall and then to punch him in the back and then wait for 10 more seconds and, and it just completely interrupts the flow of whatever you're doing and there are too many enemies that are designed to increase challenge so you can't hit them all the time when then it just completely breaks what the point of that combat system is which is be really really fast and really stylish yeah whereas like an enemy that normally in these games annoys me like a flying enemy was both trivial and interesting in that i could continually grapple to and from them in a way that sped up that combat incredibly where I could always get close and always go up in the air uh, in a way that um, like the game definitely gives you a lot of juggle abilities that I really didn't find myself using that much. Uh, And I wonder if maybe that was my problem with it in that most, like there are parts of the game where they definitely want you to go aerial. Like when you do that punch to interrupt the big guy, he gets launched into the air yet. I've never jumped up after him and gone after him because I wasn't focused on juggling that much in the way that the game... And I didn't have to. I played on normal and was getting S ranks on most of my battles. Mm-hmm. I, I also didn't do much juggling. I think the times I stayed in the air were those few fights in with the, the, the flying ones that were almost entirely flying ones. I just stayed in the air for about... But that wasn't because... I was juggling them. I was just juggling myself. I just yeah, because with like, the little chair guys, you can just... Uh, grapple to them yeah back and forth and just stay up yeah which is also why you get a mechanic called the devil trigger which has existed in prior games 
but in this game basically turns you into classic Dante because it turns you your coat red and your hair white. But what it also does is launch every other enemy up into the air, and thus I never used it much. I think I used that three times in the entire game. I, I, I'm the same. I just, it felt like the, the, the power-up that they gave you to feel powerful then made put the enemies in such a state where you couldn't do anything that you had yeah, been doing. By the time I got, that, got up into the air and was attacking them, my meter was half gone. Yep. Yep. The thing with the the dodges, and actually, it's more about the um the fact they didn't use the two uh, the angel and devil weapons is that there isn't a hook to this system. There isn't. It doesn't feel very like balanced. Not balanced. Balanced isn't the right word, but it doesn't take advantage of what it does. Whereas, like the pinnacle of Devil May Cry style of um, hack and slash game is Bayonetta, which I know you're a big fan of because you're a good person. Uh, which essentially the entire game is designed around that witch time mechanic. E- even even combos with that, there's so many of them that it's not even really about combo memorization per se. It's about finding the right time to dodge, uh, finding whether to charge or to um, or to slash, and finding the combos that extend your slow motion time for as long as possible. And even the enemies are like their side, like the, the enemies that are like those wheels that extend to just huge rolling pins. Like those are all built around ways to find an interesting crowd to dodge around, which um, like that, that entire game is that one mechanic. Whereas this just feels like they have grafted this not Ikaru, but this, these angel and devil mechanic onto a, a kind of bare bones devil may cry system, and didn't take anywhere near full advantage of that and or, or their own dodge mechanic, which you say you know it's really poor cancelling and cancelling enemies' attacks as well. There's not very not very good to interrupt or cancel which means that it feels a bit weak in those areas and doesn't feel as responsive i mean uh there's definitely it allows for versatility because in every load screen i got to see silhouetted dante do some amazing stuff where he's switching weapons on the fly in the middle of combos i never did any of that nope no well the the problem is that the you're always going to hold the right trigger down because it kills guys faster uh, the the red weapons are so much more powerful than the other weapons that unless there are a million guys around you and you need to get one of them away you'll switch to the um, angel weapon uh or if it's a specific type of enemy but otherwise you will generally aren't punished or not or aren't encouraged to do anything other than the thing that kills them in the fastest coolest way which is generally hold the right trigger a bunch and push them up in the air there's not much else incentive to do anything else, so it doesn't. It feels like I'm always holding down RT. And uh, I found, I don't know how true you found it, you get an upgrade to both the angel and devil weapons, and I found that after I got those upgrades, I never went back. Well, what, what do you mean? Like, when I went to the fists and the glaive, I never went back to the axe and scythe weapons. Oh, I... I went back to the. I switched between all, a bunch of them all the time. Really? Because um, I just I yeah. found like they they did the thing that they were that those weapons were coded to do so much better than the prior version. Uh, they they probably did, but I switched between them a bunch just because. And that's more because of the way the upgrade system works, and that oh you've given me this new ones, but my old one I put all these points into. And I just had this mental block of I should use all of them and spread it all around, even though I mean neither of them. Were, I killed guys just as fast with the with the other ones than I did with the new ones, so it didn't really make too much of a difference. 
because uh especially that glaive that uh that the, the move where on me it was circle i guess that'd be b for you where you the throw one where it you at throw them it. yeah yeah is an amazing interrupt to almost every enemy in that game i didn't use it anywhere near as like it, it would just it'll stop witches in their tracks it'll stop those those oh, yeah. rat dogs in their tracks like just enemies will stop and be interrupted for 20 seconds while you attack everybody else I used it, but only after I, like, about two levels after I should have cottoned on to the fact that that move is near game-breaking in how much easier it makes everything. Whereas, I felt like the upgrade to the gun was actually interesting and useful, because I used that shotgun a whole lot. That's because they had the um, weird enemies that you had to... Absolutely. The, yeah. But I, I thought that its damage spread was way better and way more useful than the, uh, just the Abrini and Ivory guns. Uh, yeah, the, because the like that... the uh, the Valkyrie enemies, like the flying angel guys, would just fall down to the ground when you shoot them yeah. with the shotgun. And the and the enemy and the ebony and ivory ones are almost purely for I'm going to keep you stunned for a few more seconds so I can uh, save yeah. this guy. I'm going to keep my combo meter from going down. It doesn't go up, but it doesn't go down when you yeah. are unloading into dudes. Whereas mm -hmm. the third gun you get in the game is the most useless weapon in the entire game. What even was it? It's like that weird sticky grenade oh. thing. Oh, you're right. Yes. Where yeah, supposedly it could interrupt those big guys that we keep complaining about, but you have to put four or five bullets into them and then trigger them all at once to interrupt them. What? That's... Yeah, because it gives it gives you a tooltip. If you hit the whatever those guys are called with four thorns and then it, like make them all go off at once because you can store them up uh, into guys... Uh, it would interrupt their attacks. I I didn't I didn't even inter interrupt their attacks because at some point it was quite clear that the easiest way to kill them was to use the the, the big fist. Wait for them to fall over and yeah, do if that you, twice. If I did it once and you put all four of them and it once it triggers it causes that that state where they're down and there's the light shining out of them where you can mm -hmm. pull them over or hit them whatever you want to do. But the problem is is that they also will shake those off if you if they charge or stomp. So you have to unload all four thorns into them in about three seconds, which is impossible given that that gun is so slow and you're too busy dodging out of the way poorly. <clears throat> yeah. Whereas, yeah, if you want an example of a game that does this right, Bayonetta gives you, uh, what, like like, a ha like eight, nine weapons, something like that? Yep. And yep. each one of them is interesting, and each one of them, A, has way more combo potential, but the various combinations of using weapons on your hands and weapons on your feet change more dramatically how that game plays. If you play with ice skates and rocket launchers, you get a wildly different game than if you play with, like, samurai swords and a whip. Yep. I I, I just think that Bayonetta is way more designed around its core strength. And... Yeah, which is dodging and being elaborate and flashy. Because that game is also a stylish action game, and it's not surprising that the guy who made Bayonetta is the guy that made the first Devil May Cry. No. Well, uh, no, because they're the only games to do combos on Y instead of X, or triangle instead of square. Yep. That's right, I haven't played Bayonetta in quite some time, and yeah, that's, that's accurate, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Everything else is... Pretty much X for weak attacks and Y for strong attacks. Whereas, nope, they're all on the top button on the controller. It's pretty cool. What is square in Bayonetta? Or or it's it? it's um it's shoot it's you shoot okay. with square. Okay, so like it's the same button. Yeah, it's exactly the same button. 
That is amazing. <laughs> they're the same. I I played Bayonetta a little bit after playing Devil May Cry Four, and they're yeah, it's it's pretty much made the same game, but way better. My the the other problem with all this is for all of this mechanical complexity that we wish the game had, it totally loses all of it in every single boss fight, which are classic Nintendo style. Find the boss's weak point, hit it three times, and the boss falls over, and then you do core damage, and then you repeat. But I found that with ne- almost every hack and slash game, the boss is the least interesting part because a st- those games are designed around crowd management. I, 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 that's fair. I, I would say the first Devil May Cry had some interesting and challenging bosses. Uh, not to say you can't do it well, but they're always less interesting than the core gameplay. Because there's generally there's one guy and you have to dodge him and then you have to find the point where they're vulnerable and then attack him a couple times, unless they have multiple arms or multiple things. Where then it becomes a bit more interesting. But in here it was just here's a boss you have to jump on. I was I was trying to think of why I felt Bayonetta's bosses were more interesting and because those bosses boil down to it's not about fighting the boss; it's about learning when and how to dodge to effectively play yeah. and that's that's how the feedback loop of the actual battles are too like mm-hmm. fighting the enemies is almost secondary to knowing how to dodge the enemies and that's true of normal encounters and true of the bosses which yeah. is not true of Devil May Cry which might as well have Zelda boss fights with lots of swearing <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the boss fight in the chapter t- 10 was it or you know Ten, the, the, the boss fight yes yeah it's pretty crazy that boss fight. Oh yeah, we'll talk. I want to talk narratively about the boss okay. fights when we talk about the narrative because they are by far the highlights of that game. Uh, no, but my my point is more that the, their approach in those boss fights, instead of to go actually mechanically interesting, is to go the opposite direction and just make stuff as crazy as possible, which is essentially what Bayonetta did, except the core there was so much stronger that the boss fight still worked. Whereas here, and, and the boss fights, I like. The, the boss fights I want to talk about in relation to Dumb May Cry narratively are uh, a different game. Exactly, yeah. You know which one. Yes, yes I so, do. So, one last thing before we uh, move on from the mechanics, I guess. The, uh, the thing that interests me the most is that, as someone who's played Ninja Theory's other games, all of these problems are problems that they had in their prior games. Uh, I, I know you have not played Heavenly Sword, but Heavenly Sword was a great story with some interesting character. Not a great, a a perfectly serviceable story with great, energetic characters that emoted well. Bogged down by weird, sloppy, like God of War style fighting controls, which didn't work at all. Where and then their second game, Enslaved, which you have played, I have, is I think a game with incredibly great platforming. And really unnecessary fighting. That's fair assessment. I didn't mind the combat too much. It's not a problem, but it's... I I remember it being incredibly simple. It it was. It is. You block now, and then you attack with the one attack you have. Because at its core, Enslaved is them trying to do Prince of Persia. Yes. Exactly. It's that. And I think the platforming could have been slightly more interesting because I replayed a bit of Enslaved uh, this week. It's Admittedly, it's been a while for me, but I remember sequences of like crawling, like climbing up the windmill or crawling across like the rubble of like 
pillars that I found uh, at least visually and like mechanically exhilarating in that the the gulfs you are trying to cross and the spaces are like are actually affecting in a way that Devil May Cry is cross all these platforms with your grapple hook or fall down a pit weren't necessarily because Devil May Cry just becomes this weird Mario 3D land these objects float in a null space at a certain point and while that's visually sometimes interesting it doesn't feel like there's no sense of scale to a lot of it I, the, the dif- I think the difference is entirely t- i mean they're very different games but the reason that enslaved works isn't because it's a platforming is good or it's combat is good but because the tone is focused on essentially for a platformer with combat it is extremely tranquil and relaxing and you I, get yeah, into this, okay you get into this pattern and you know the things you have to do and they're not very hard but you do them and then you do the next one and it's all about spending time with these characters whereas Devil May Cry is attempting to do these intense challenging sections and everything is on all the time so that doesn't fly you... which which yeah. I guess doesn't surprise me that my favorite sequences Devil May Cry are the when you get a new weapon there's a very serene platforming sequence that you go yes. through those I like are really nice and the lead up to boss encounters which are super abstract platforming mm-hmm. sequences which aren't necessarily good but they're not like difficult and what you're surrounded by is always very interesting yeah they do they do atmosphere pretty much the best of any western developer i can think of i mean in those style of games in big a unreal engine games of all things so uh any final thoughts before we move on to talking about the story where I think we might have more problems. <laughs> I, I I also think this is more a problem, not a problem, but a ish, um, just a fact of the genre or the style it's trying to be in that there's no strategy to it. There is absolutely no strategy to this game in that it is very much encounter to encounter to encounter. Uh, the closest it gets is the fact that when you buy a health item, It'll then the price of the health item then goes up, which is your motivation to not just buy a bunch of health items. I still bought a bunch of health items. Oh, you know, exactly. I'm saying it's not very strong. Like, I, I t- obviously talk a lot about my favorite in this genre, which is Ninja Garden Black, which I think is so good because it balances, it balances, like, the score system is diametrically opposed to the way you get money in that game, which is which essentially means that the risk of doing well and killing all these enemies means you get less money because you use the money directly for power attacks. So you balance... Like There's a long-term strategy in that game where if you decide early on that you want to play a certain way, you will have less like, money to spend on health kits later on. And there's none, that there isn't any... like You could cut a level out in the middle and it wouldn't really disrupt the flow of DMC in the same way. And I feel like that is definitely... A, not a problem but it just makes it less satisfying as a whole experience and i wish that they had mechanically tried to do something to to make the whole thing worthwhile and fit together but they've just gone the other way i've noticed the segmented levels you can play any level anytime just it's all about in the moment combat hmm. um yeah i suppose I, I could see that the uh I guess that leads well into my point where when I'm talking about the narrative of Devil May Cry, the overarching, what the actual plot is, the thing that continually struck home is that the story you want to tell 
is not supported at all by what the game is. No. <laughs> which uh, I, I know we already complained about the opening, which is awful. But what the actual game ends up being is rebellious main hero finding his purpose through this connection with these characters. Uh, the problem being the game, because it's so rigidly structured by mission, never gives you a chance to empathize with any of the people you're involved with. Well, no, you just you just talk. They talk to you sometimes in gameplay because yeah, there's your cool other like twin brother guy who, if you've played Dunley Cry, you know he's probably not fully on your side. <laughs> uh, or if you've played a video game because he's like you but has different colored hair and outfit, so he's like alternate version of you. Those people are always evil. He's wearing a shirt that says "Final Boss." I don't know why. It's weird. You find out why later. <laughs> And then there's your love interest who, like, I think that the acting on that character is really good, but she is basically, like, a key to every door that has a sexual abuse backstory. It's the worst. Mm -hmm. Because she is a walking plot device that is, like, this really gross model where you and everyone else is walking together fully clothed where she is doing the exact same stuff, but in the shortest shorts... And in the revealing shirt hoodie that is made, like, cut specifically to reveal all the cleavage. Yep. Uh, which is, I know, just video games, but I'm going to call it out in all the games we play because I'm tired of it. Uh, I agreed. But even more importantly, the entire end of Dante's arc hinges on him having this really deep connection to this character, like, this character specifically. And virgil not having that and none of it is earned not a single bit of it i mean the, the closest they get is that one sequence in in the hideout where she's hiding it i mean that that's the only time that in gameplay i'm being really generous here but that's the closest they get to that actually acting yeah affecting and what you do it is probably the most narratively interesting level in the game mm-hmm. yeah but what they set up is you know virgil wants power and you were someone who didn't care and then you met these people and it changed your life what that game is describing is basically bastion mm-hmm. but unlike bastion devil may cry never gives you the space where in bastion you meet these characters and you have these moments where these characters aren't even voiced but because the narrative stops and lets you experience what they're about and who they are you form connections and devil may cry would be helped by just like one or two chapters where there's no fighting where you just like have experiences with the people around you but it never slows down even when it doesn't make any sense to have a moment like when virgil shoots the hostage you take (laughs) which is the and blows the entire plan to save uh cat the love interest and you never call him out on it there's a minute where dante's like what are you doing and does virgil even answer i don't remember him even no he he says what the fuck then there's a horrible shot of this woman realizing oh god someone shot my child then he shoots her in the head yes but (laughs) nobody caught like there's no moment where that pays off no they just go back and then and then then dante's surprised and virgil turns out to be evil (laughs) (laughs) like this happened less than 20 or not less than three hours ago in game time Mm -hmm. he just cold-blooded murdered this guy this girl that they said they weren't gonna do and then he like he has a bit of a smirk on his face when he does it as well yeah so it's clearly obvious that you know puts all three of them in mortal danger because then you have to deal with the fallout of that which waylays all of your plans yep 
And actually, the 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 platforming sequence you do there is pretty interesting. That would be that'd be cool. If somehow, if that was more of the game, was the stuff with the time mechanic? I don't know. It was no. Was it, it is cool. It is also straight out of Bayonetta, but it's cool. <laughs> well, if more things were like Bayonetta, then the world would be a better place. <laughs> because Bayonetta has multiple sequences where you are dilating or like ex- extending time to interact with an, another world that is different than ours. Yeah, that is, yeah. In fact, the entire plot of the game's premise being identical to Bayonetta with the Limbo stuff, pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh. I I, th- I think that if they're going to do the story of, in this type of gameplay, that you are a guy coming together with this team, that they should have somehow had one, maybe more characters than just Virgil and this other girl. Or, uh, but... have, like, you, or you could have... Well, I, like I more story sequences, which maybe like more cutscenes is not the answer. But no, what would be even more interesting is like chapters where you play as Virgil or Cat. I don't. Hmm. I I I agree, but also I'm, I'm more thinking like if there is a way for them to influence your gameplay. I don't know how they did it, but just a way for them to actually help you out while you're playing. And that I, I obviously not a game designer. I don't know how they would do this. They didn't know how they would do this, so they didn't do this. But there must be a way for that to intersect somehow, like like cat's ability or whatever. Yeah, but like you could take out like sequences, like like the mechanics of Devil Trigger are entirely there for legacy purposes. They're not important oh. or useful. Yes. If you replace that with like a Virgil assist, and then yes, maybe exactly. then maybe Cat has more of like platforming abilities, and you do segments of this game with her that are strictly platforming because she seems to be a character that's all about like opening like doors and realms and t- progressing through them. Like it's almost like a game that involved two characters, one of them, which did all the movement and one of them, which did all the combat. I don't know who's done that before. Uh, enslaved out now. <laughs> Coming soon. Premium edition. But condensing all of those things down into Dante and then, cat becomes uh, you know the plot device that they that they basically kill off once uh despite the fact she's not actually dead but they the game does not go out of its way to make you think she's not dead until it's like oh she's alive because i thought she was dead halfway through that game oh how i was like no you're gonna rescue her later the second that we didn't see her body it was like no they 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 shot her and kicked her and dragged like they did she did like a death gasp of her hand going limp and they dragged her body out how is she not dead there was a there was a line there was a voiceover line where they say take her away oh okay that was probably when i was checking twitter Checking uh, Twitter is the best part of this game, by which I mean the ending. Yeah, we'll get to that, because uh, everything they could do for a sequel, which will never happen, would be way more interesting than anything that's in this game. Um, yeah. So, uh, but then, the problem is, like, because the story is so tangentially related to the actual gameplay, and maybe it's not a problem, but the game has moments where it just stops all of the narrative flow entirely to give you what are probably the best sequences, which are the limbo world leading up to any boss fight, mm-hmm. which are wild, abstract fever dreams straight out of El Shaddai, which is the game I wanted to talk about in reference to this. But you could even use something like Killer7 or No More Heroes as an example, where the wor- the level leading up to a boss is themed to the boss's like personality 
where you fight the demon that is actually the Fox News anchor analog, and his level is basically you on platforms that are make up the logo of the TV station, which is great, is an amazing level. Or the techno res nightmare that is the uh, demoness uh, second hand of the big bad guy who you're in a nightclub and then suddenly it turns into this glowy disco ball visualizer level. And that stuff is amazing and really interesting. But it, none of it is, is relevant to the plot at all. No, no, it's, it's just going to... It, it, it is totally a style over substance, unnecessary thing. But I found myself looking forward to them way more than anything else in the game. Well, they were the only time where it was like doing something different. Otherwise, it was just, yep, here's some demons here, you're going to kill them. There wasn't really a hook or like a visual aesthetic in any of the other parts of the game. It was no, just the pro- the a problem game. The is the visual aesthetic becomes, here's a city, let's blow make it all it up weird. and make the platformers, make parts of the street floaty. <laughs> yeah, that was the visual aesthetic. And those two sequences especially were the, the ones where stuff went crazy and they had that weird demons got talent thing and it was, it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So, uh... There, like El Shaddai is a third-person hack-and-slash game that is almost all style over substance, where the mechanics of the game are actually incredibly simple. It is a, like a two-button game, but the worlds you traverse are all like that, and all themed in these wildly disparate ways, where there's like a Tron world and like a nature world, and uh, it is much more of a... It, it airs much more on the side of platforming than it does actual fighting, uh, and I think it does it better. And is a weird, interesting experiment of a game. Uh, but then, like, like that's like uh, No More Heroes is another good example where that's not a platformer, but the world you lead up to any boss fight is just this amazing sequence of like themed content that is here's everything about this boss before you even reach them, which is interesting because none of the bosses in this game or in any game are given enough backstory. Uh, so if you can create a world that kind of tells you what they're about, I think that that helps provide that context. Especially in a game like uh, like this, where there's very little time spent leading up to a boss. But the bosses themselves seem like interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I was kind of met on the game until that first boss fight with the uh, succubus in the basement of the thing. Uh-huh. Where... She is just loud and abrasive, and Dante responds by being just as loud and abrasive, and there's this weird juvenile back and forth between them. <laughs> yeah. Totally unnecessary, but perfect. I wish the game had more moments like that, and less serious, grim, dark nonsense about demons and angels. Basically, be more Bayonetta. <laughs> Again, it's, it's useful advice in this genre, in the modern times. If you could be more Bayonetta, that'd be good. So, but I just I just don't think that there's enough in the game to justify as many things as they wanted to do. Which, I mean, they're trying to relaunch an entire franchise in a, like an eight-hour game uh, where most of that game is spent cutting dudes. So it's hard to do, I guess. Well, because they have to reconcile the fact that they have to have all this legacy stuff in there. They have to have the same characters the same backstory all this thing and yet also make it crazy and new so that doesn't leave much time for actual characterization or you know anything else yep 
especially since the game basically leads up to the point you know it's where it's going, but then the ending teases something far more interesting than the actual game itself. Where, <laughs> I, I mean, this is a podcast predicated on people have played the game or don't care, but the end of that game, you basically merge the, wor- the weird demon world you've been in and the real world, and suddenly people are tweeting about giant monsters roaming outside their windows like there's this whole sequence that is social media driven of tweets and pictures and hashtags about the demon apocalypse but then it all fades out to this weird thing and it says like we are coming which i'm confused like wait who's this message from what does this mean there's like some more demon leaders coming and i'm like oh this is the best yep please and then you just fight Virgil, which makes the thing that this entire game has been building up to kind of a huge anticlimax. Well, the thing is, you always knew you were going, like, at least for me, you always know Virgil is not on Dante's side. Not that he's, like, necessarily a bad guy, but there are disparate ends of what they want out of everything. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, you have this moment of revelation where, oh, everything has suddenly changed and anything new could happen. And yet we have this one legacy thing where... Virgil's technically a guy you fight, so you have to fight him. And while the battle is... Like, I always find those battles between someone with kind of your same skill set really cool in games. Uh, the Like, the story payoff of that is awful. Yeah, he just walks away. Like, yeah, because yeah. it ends with, oh, Dante had the upper hand, but didn't kill him because compassion. And then Virgil's going to run away to be in the sequel that'll never get made. Yeah, the, the, the last chance is all very perfunctory. We know exactly what you're doing here because you have to do it. So, and talking about other hack and slash games that include lots of battles with characters with similar skill sets, Osra's Wrath is a game that has this exact same boss fight like four times in that game, but every single time the fallout is dramatic and profound. Yes. Where they are willing to take characters and murder them or maim them or change their motivations within the context of the fight. Like the fight will stop and allow you to have those moments of character building. If there were some Asher's Wrath moments in that fight with Virgil, it would make sense because these are characters who aren't necessarily spending all their time trying to kill each other. Their fight is about a a disagreement in opinion. And so they could have those moments where they explore that through their dumb brother fight. And I think that the payoff would have been better for it. Because Mm -hmm. Oscar's Wrath is maybe a game with some problems, but telling an interesting story is not one of them. No. No, Oscar's Wrath, also very good. Yo, you have a red guy, you have a blue guy. Shit goes crazy game. Um, I don't don't know how they could have improved the final plot point because it's i mean the, the, I, I think the problem is that like what story they had to tell where they had to get to is not supported by the game they made at all no exactly i think the what they needed to do is one make virgil less qu- quite clearly the the bad guy and cat quite clearly the good girl or uh, just save that stuff for a sequel because this entire game revolves around like finding mundus the big bad guy and killing him and you do that, at that point the game is over. The stuff with the Virgil is entirely unearned. That is also true. It generally takes about 10 seconds, more than 10 seconds after toppling a regime to realize that the new regime is corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Like, that game could end on, like, an uneasy note of, 
like this new world and be fine. And it, it would have been a better game for it. Yes, yeah, it would have been way better. Yeah, agreed. and then they could spend the time actually building up this Virgil thing. But instead, because it's Zelda Cry and it has these legacy attachments, Virgil's got to end on a bad note because Virgil's always dead or betraying you at some point in all of these games. And this is another one of those games. So there you go. Mm-hmm. By yeah. the way, let's make Dante have white hair at the end because that's also a thing that's expected. It's X Men First Class all over again. Yeah. No. Yeah. The problem is the the end of this game races to reset the universe, and yeah. that is awful. I I agree fully. It doesn't. It's not whatever organic story they did have is thrown out the window in order to wrap tie up these bows. That said. I, I would play a sequel to this game. Oh, totally. Because I think I think all of the problems are addressable in a very real way. Yeah, and there's enough potential, and it's fun enough. It's not like the gameplay's bad. No, I mean we've we've listed off a bunch of like games that we think are better in the course of talking about this, but uh, you know, there's plenty of hack and slash character action games that are terrible. Oh yeah, we're talking pinnacle of genre type games, not... We didn't talk about God of War. We didn't talk about Dante's Inferno. For good reason. Oh, Dante's Inferno. I'd forgotten Dante's Inferno existed. Thanks. I've been listening to old bombcasts, so that's the only reason I know. (laughs) It's a good way to go. Uh, I guess that's about it for Devil May Cry. This uh, went longer than I thought it would, which is nice. Mm-hmm. We had we had stuff to say, turns out. So, um, we're going to go ahead and announce the game club for next month, because I'd like to announce that at the end of all of these podcasts. And the game club for, game for next month is going to be as far away from Devil May Cry as you can get, uh, Pokemon X and Y for the Nintendo 3DS, which is admittedly a new release, and I said we wanted to get away from that, but it's what we're playing. Uh, and Pokemon always has plenty to talk about with it. Uh, is this your first Pokemon, Jackson? It is totally my first ever Pokemon game. Yeah, I've so. been I've been dealing I've been coaching a lot of newbies through their first Pokemon game, and that experience opens my eyes to just how ridiculous trying to jump into Pokemon at this point is. I, I will. I'm avoiding really any. FAQs and stuff. I'm just gonna go in. And, no, I mean, I'm yeah, already... absolutely. But those games are, I, I, my, the way I would define them is baroque, because they don't ever drop mechanics. They just layer mechanics on top of the previous game, and so the game that exists now is built on the fact that you've played five other generations yeah. of it's, this style of game. It's Tony Hawk again, uh, and I think I think that they do an okay job explaining that stuff if you pay attention uh but it's still a lot of information and so much of it uh kind of expects you to already be afloat on your own and i don't know if that's necessarily a given but Um, we will talk about it we'll talk about that yeah um so i guess that brings us to the end of the first one of these end of the first episode yeah we did it pretty pretty good uh shaking better now uh, <laughs> half tempted to go and re-record my introduction to this <laughs> but, so uh, I played a video game when I was younger and then I played lots of them and now I play more now and they're good I like them uh, so we're going to be posting this onto uh, our website which is a Tumblr, just a Tumblr right now it's abnormalmapping.tumblr.com 
Have you uh, registered that? Yeah. Okay, good. I intend to uh, reblog video game stuff there uh, from time to time. Uh, maybe do some writing. I, there's no guarantee on that. But these will go up uh, until I decide if I'm going to pay for a actual aggregator. This will not be on iTunes. You'll only be able to get to the website. But we'll look into that in future months. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can ask us questions on the Tumblr because we have an ask box because that's cooler than an email because I don't want to set up another Gmail just for this. Also, um, no one actually does this. One of the weirdest holdovers is how podcasts still have actual emails. Yeah. Or you could hit up me and Jackson on, to- on Twitter where we will engage in conversation because yeah. we do that. So you want to plug your Twitter and anything else you do, Jackson? Um, Tylier002 on Twitter. Uh, That's T-Y-L-E-A-002 for yes. anyone who can't understand his 600 miles an hour British. I talk way too far. I'm sorry. I'll work on that. Promise. But uh, yes, that is Tylier002. And you can find me at LitRock, L-I-T-R-O-C-K. Uh, I have some other podcasts too, but they're not about video games. So... You just have to talk to me if you care about books, and I can point you and, in a direction. And you should care about books. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I hope that we can get into in maybe some future, because this game didn't really call for it, is okay. the fact that the more things you know about things that aren't video games, secretly the more things you know about video games. Yes. Be a well-rounded person. That's right. So that's it. Uh, everybody go home uh, or leave feedback. Let us know how this was. Uh, I know it's awkward, but it's our first time. <laughs> Come down here. Come down here. <laughs> you just had to. You just had to, didn't you?
So I guess that's a little bit about us. I don't know. I now that I'm not gonna segue with something so weak. That's lame. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> uh, we're gonna job. go with Utah shooters, and then I, I should just say what the format's going to be. Because speaking of shooters and guns, gunpoint. Yes, that's <laughs> actually intro with that. Speaking of shooters and guns, gunpoint, and I'll be like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so I say that, and then you go on. Yeah, and I'll just go, and then we'll end this. So segment. I'll just say that again, and then you yes, do that. Yes, and I will. I will not laugh in surprise. I will just riff on you. It worked better if you laughed in surprise. <laughs> okay, um, but you can't force that, so don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of shooters and guns, gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Contact. <laughs> I have no ability to not laugh. <laughs> so when you do that, I just said, okay, yeah, gunpoint, speaking of shooters. I did that on purpose. You need to go again. I'm not going to keep that. Oh, you think? 